Lord, as we come before you today, I pray that we'd come with the understanding that there is a place for us here. As we come to the Father's house, whether that's physically or online, I pray that we would know our identity in you. I pray that we would come to a place where we know that we are accepted and loved, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. And I pray that you would speak to us today where we need it the most. Lord, that we would see identity, our character, our purpose, not in our plans, but in yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know our musicians don't serve for their own glory or anything else, but can we put our hands together for them? Because, wow, it is so good being able to be led in worship as the body of Christ once again. We've, we started this year with a bunch of plans, didn't we? Everybody had plans. There's lots of nodding heads. Like we, we, we had an idea of what we were going to do. I know there's some students sitting at year 12. Got a plan. <laughs> you know, how did that go for you? you know, like, we, we, we had plans for this year. You know, and I'm just looking around the room, and I won't use names, but you know, people coming from overseas for the first time. You know, there's so many plans that we had this year that... COVID hits, and, and no longer can we, can we do those plans. And that, that were good plans. They were thought-out plans. They, they were wise plans. But all of a sudden, we, we can't do them because COVID hits. We all had plans. But not, partly sometimes because we're human, our plans fail, but other times our plans are out of our control. And we can't follow through with what was a good plan because the world gets in the way. Or something trips us up. And today I want to speak into that. If you've had plans in life, if you've had plans this year, and your entire world has been shaken to its core because those plans fell flat on their face, the things that you were hoping for, the things that you were planning for, as good as they were, weren't able to take place. And because of that, you've been totally stripped back. And you're still trying to find your identity in the mix of that. Well, if that's you, then today I want to say that God's Word's going to speak into that space. And so before we dive into God's word, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be able to see your plan, the plan that you had from the beginning of time, a plan that has never changed, a plan that we can hang on to. And Lord, as we look at your plan, may we see our part in that plan so we see what we can do and how we can align with something that will never change, something that we know is true and something that will never be shaken to its core. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our series on Christmas is coming, and that is just getting scarier every time I say it. Oh, December's next week. Oh, under a month. Ah! Um, this week. This week is December. Ah! It's even worse. See, it's Christmas is coming. You can't stop it. Christmas is coming. But that's a good thing when we know what Christmas is about, and today's message is following this series, and the way this series works is we look at the Old Testament to see what was told to happen, the prophecies, the Old Testament scriptures, the promises God made. Then we look at the New Testament and see how they came true in and through Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is coming. Today is no different to that. But before we dive into Christmas, into the scriptures, into the message today, dive into Christmas. <laughs> we can't edit that out, can we? This is all live, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
do you guys get a sense of fulfillment when you achieve something, when you work hard at something, and then you, you get that moment where you step back and you go, wow. It's, it's like you've put together the most amazing garden of plastic plants, and you, and you stand back for a moment, you just go, yeah. And like, I haven't killed them. Like, that's a miracle in itself. But wow, I, I had nothing to do with this, by the way. Creative Arts team, thank you so much. Um, but you just go, wow. And, and you, you step back or, or you try and build something. And, and, you, and you build it and you stand back and you get this sense of achievement when you go, oh, look what I did. Or mowing the lawns. It can be simple jobs, but you stand back and you go, oh, look at what I did. I actually think that's a great character trait in life, you know, to, to, to work hard and then stand back and just spend a moment, because life can be so fast-paced, but to stop, slow down, stand back and look at it and go, ah, look how amazing God is, and look what we can do when we work hard towards something, ah, sense of achievement. But sometimes having pride in your own understanding, your own work, can be a bad thing. For example, I think I chipped a tooth last week. I'm not going to try and fix it. That wouldn't be a sense of pride in myself. Like, uh, a little bit of glue. It's great. I would be foolish to try and fix that tooth myself. Or if you get a little bit sick, and this is not a guilt trip at all, but maybe if you get, oh, I feel a bit, oh, a bit funny. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the doctor. Google. I feel like I've got a symptoms. And you end up like, the Scandinavian chicken pox flu syndrome. <laughs> like, what? No. Huh? And, you, and you start self-diagnosing. No, if you feel a bit, little bit sick or feel a bit off, go and see a doctor. Like, go to the professional. Like, go to somebody who knows it. Sometimes we can do that with our spirituality, with our faith. We can go, I, I understand faith so well. I understand I've got this, God. This is the way I do it. This is the way that I worship. This is the way that I learn. This is the way that I live. This is the way it's always been. This is the way I've always known. This is great. And we actually go, I'm not going to hand off to the professional. I'm going to try and do some things in my own strength. I want to say, if you've ever done that and tried to take your spiritual journey onto yourself, then you're not alone. It's been happening all the way through Scripture and still happens today. I think there's even been times this year where I, I totally would have done the same thing myself. This is not working. What else can I do? But hang on, isn't it about him? <laughs> and we start to try and do it ourselves out of frustration or whatever. In Scripture, we see this take place all the time. All the time. And so as we dive in, we, we, I'm going to do a bit of an overview of some Scriptures before we, we dive into the meat today. And to start, we're going to look at a time where people kept taking spirituality onto themselves over and over again. And even worse than that, they started looking at others, going, oh, that seems to work. I wonder if I could try that. Or that, oh, I like the look of that. And we see in the book of Judges, the Old Testament, that the God's people started looking at the different religions around them and the different practices and said, oh, I might try a bit of that. I might try that. Oh, I wonder if I did that, if that would work for me. And all of a sudden, when they step back to appreciate the amazing work that they've done, it was fake flowers. That looks okay, but it was like, oh, it wasn't not what they expected. They, they looked back and they're like, oh, that is not nice at all. That's like, yuck. And then they cry out to God, and the God's always there. God's loving them, going, I'm just waiting for my people, my children to cry out to me. And they go, God, would you save us? And he goes, yes, straight away. And he sends a judge. And the judge were like these warrior judges, these leaders that would come and lead them out of this place of trying to do life themselves. And it would lead them out, and then they would be following God again. And then all of a sudden, they'd get distracted with the world and start following other things again, and they'd, 
mess up. And we see these judges as that pattern. They mess up. They cry out, God saves them. They're all good. They mess up. <laughs> they cry out, God saves them over and over and over again. And we end up in this place where we see in, in, in the judges, each judge slowly in their own character gets worse and worse and worse until the final judge is so bad that his character means he's doing all these things that God's people are told not to do. And he's the one saving them. And he's, he's totally breaking the, the way that he should have been living before uh, as a leader, but also before his people. He's marrying the enemy, doing all sorts of terrible things. And then, once again, Israel looks at those around him and goes, we need someone to lead us that's not going to keep messing up the whole time. Where should they have been looking? God, like, I'm here, I'm here. Haven't I proven myself? I'm here. But they, they, they start looking at those around them, and what they see, they see, oh, you've got a king, and you've got a king, you've got a... Hey, we want a king, God. God's like, aren't I enough? But hey, I love you. I will give you what you desire. And he gives them a king, which leads us into the next book of the Bible, which is First Samuel, Samuel the prophet. And Samuel is called by God, and Samuel does this wrestle and, and with God, like, really, why don't they follow you? And God goes, look, I love them. I'll give them what they want. Here comes this king called Saul. Everything they wanted was in this king called Saul. He was tall. He was good-looking. He barracked for Hawthorne. Everything that they could possibly want was in this, this king. And, all of the, and the, the sad part was is he did a great job for a while. But then his character flaws started to come through. And he was jealous. He wanted it to be all about him. And all of a sudden, this young leader started to rise through the ranks of the army. And he started to, to lead the army of Israel doing amazing things that they sought to take back the land that was God's. God had given the nation the land and enemies had come and taken over. And they're taking back what is rightfully theirs. And this king starts hearing the songs about this young leader that was, he was getting more credit than he was as the king. And rather than stepping back and going, wow, God, you have provided you know, people under my leadership the, to, to share the load, to, to do the work, he goes, I want that. I want that affirmation. I want that. So much so that he goes to kill that young leader, that young man known as David. So he starts pursuing David, trying to kill him, and David's character comes through where we see David has the opportunity to kill Saul, who's trying to kill him. And multiple times we see David is sitting there and he goes, God, how dare I try and kill and hurt the anointed person that you have anointed king? How dare I lift a hand against somebody? David had a heart after God's own heart. How dare I? He submitted to God first. And so we see by the end of the first part of the book of Samuel. Samuel was one book originally, but we split it into two because it's big and we need to bite-sized pieces. And so the, the second part of the, the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, we see that the, the king has died, Saul has died, and now David has become king. Now David has a decision to make. How is he going to lead Israel? Israel's all fragmented at this point, and there's 12 tribes, different family groups that are spread out over this area. And so one of the, the, the masterful leadership decisions that David makes is he says, I'm going to make a capital that will unite the tribes. And he puts it pretty close to the middle. And so Jerusalem is right in the middle. And that's where he, he says this is going to be the, the, the capital, the governing capital for the nation. This is where all of our trade is going to come through, all the, the leadership decisions are going to come. It's the capital of 
God's people right there. But then more than that, he makes an even wiser decision and says, do you know what? We're actually going to move the Ark of the Covenant there. And in doing that, it's going to be the spiritual center. And the Ark of the Covenant would, would travel around with the Israelites when they went through the wilderness and they'd built, put, it, put up these tents and in the tent was this place called the Holy of Holies. And the, the Ark would be in this place and that's where God would ascend from heaven in, in a cloud and they would be with God in that space. And so by moving the ark to the capital, it's now the spiritual hub, the spiritual center for the nation. And during David, King David's lead, Israel is at its absolute peak, its pinnacle, its strongest, it's unified, it's got a central governance system, it's got a central religious place. And it was after David, one of his children, that the, the temple was built. Once again, this magnificent temple where the Holy of Holies was. But during David's leadership, they had the tent of meeting, they had all the places there, but he made Jerusalem this huge center. Now, sadly, David had plans, and when we make plans and we don't follow God's plans, we make our own plans, things don't go well. And one of David's terrible character flaws is shown. He makes a plan. He sees a woman. She's already married. He lusts after that woman, then he gives in to that lust. She gets pregnant. He goes, he, he makes a plan, and it's not a good plan. He makes a plan, oh, maybe if I get a husband to, to spend time with her, they'll think it's his baby. And this husband, this, this Hittite person, he's not even an Israelite, he's a Hittite, because when God goes to take back his land, he says, you've got a choice. You either leave the land that's for my people, or you join us. I don't want to kill everyone. I'm not a killful God. I'm a loving God. But if you can join us, and we see this Hittite is so godly that he goes, no, I don't want to spend time with my wife. I'm, I, my, my warriors, the soldiers that I'm a part of, they're out there fighting. How dare I relax and kick back while they're warriors? Like, he's such a man of integrity. And we see this Hittite, we see this, this play, this Hittite foreigner is more godly than David. And David sets out this plan which ends up seeing this Hittite guy, murdered, killed. And David prays to God for forgiveness when it's pointed out by the prophet Nathan what he's done wrong. And in this, this sorrow, he writes Psalm 51. God hears his prayer and forgives him, yet David never lives down the consequences of the thing that he did wrong. His family is a mess for the rest of his life. He dies alone without family around him. He's a terrible father, total failure, terrible husband, total failure when it comes to his family. Yet he, he was so sorry. We see in the later past of, first, of 2 Samuel that he's actually treating people the way he should be treated when we read about how he treats his mighty men. He's transformed, but he doesn't live down the consequence of the sin, the, the action, the character flaw that he acted upon when he gripped onto his own plan. Yet God wanted to use David. God had a plan for David, and God's plan was good. Before David even messed up, God made a promise, a covenant is, is what we call them in the Old Testament. And this is known as the Davidic Covenant. You maybe have heard of the Abrahamic or the Mosaic Covenant from Abraham or Moses. This is the Davidic Covenant. The agreement between God and David himself. And Nathan, the prophet, hands down the, these messages from, from God 
to David, and we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I will establish this kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But the love will never be taken away from him. As I, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So we see that God makes a, a promise to David, even before he messes up his family, before he makes these terrible decisions. God makes a promise. He makes a plan. I'm going to use you to do great things. Sadly, David messes up. His family, his sons are all over the shop. Even the, the, the Solomon, the really wise person in the Bible that asked for wisdom, had these huge character flaws. Many of them he copied from his father. What did he learn from his father? The plan was not good. It didn't go well. We see the city that was built, the city that, that, that was supposed to make the central place for, for God's work to take place, gets, gets torn down. Later in the Old Testament, as, as people once again take their own plans and turn away from God, and the, the city walls are destroyed and knocked down, the walls that, that, that symbolize identity and strength and unity. The, the, the temple where the Holy of Holies is, is torn down as, as God says, I can't be a part of you when you're not following me. And he leaves, still with them, but, but not in this central place. We see then that towards the end of the Bible, they get, get rebuilt. The walls and the temple put back together. Only in 70 AD, as Rome's trying to destroy Christianity, the walls once again are taken down and all we're left with is what is known as the Wailing Wall in modern-day Israel. You'd think that all hope is lost. The walls are destroyed, the temple's gone, David's family's a mess. But God has a plan. God has an incredible plan that through his choice of people, through his plan, he will establish something that we can rely on. And so we open up our scriptures to Matthew chapter 1, and the very first thing we read in the New Testament is this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah means the one who will save us, the one who will save all of humanity, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God's plan said, from the, the moment that I called my people through Abraham, somebody who went off out of pure obedience to me into a foreign land, through his genealogy, there will come a king, the greatest king that, that Israel had ever seen, even though he was flawed in his family. But through his family, even though it's flawed, I have a plan. And through that plan, Jesus, the Messiah, was to be born. We then see that Jesus lived this perfect life never once sinning, never once failing in his relationship with his father. 
We see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 29, And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail to the king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him. Then they took a staff, and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put a crown of thorns on his head. And they led him away to be crucified. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. They will punish him with the rods wielded by men. They will flog him and inflict him with human hands. He did no wrong, yet he took our sins upon himself. And he was punished for our sins. He was beaten for our sins, although he didn't deserve it. You see, the prophecy of King David that was given to to David fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus dies on that cross for you and for me. And then he rises again three days later. And he meets with his disciples, his followers. And in Luke chapter 24, we read... In verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophets, and and what we have today. Understanding how they fit together and what they fully mean. Understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be placed it will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. For you are witness to these things, and I'm going to send what my father has promised. But stay, but stay in the city until you've been clothed from power from on high. He's, he's talking about uh, Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit falls. But the city that David established, the city that was supposed to be the central place for spirituality, the city at at this time is under the the rule of a different nation, the city that looks nothing like they thought it would, the city that the whole temple has been destroyed in this massive, splendorous temple, and what was rebuilt was just a shadow of its former self, that they weep when they built. There was leaders that wept when they saw the temple rebuilt because it was nowhere near the splendor of Solomon's temple. They couldn't do it justice. And, and this city, this central place of Jerusalem, Jesus is saying that, that from my plan, from this city that once again was going to be destroyed, but from this place, I have a plan that will go out to all the nations. This year, I believe that so many of us, we have got these, these Jerusalems. We've got these focal points that we have said, this is what faith is. This is our plan. This is what I think religion looks like. This is what my spirituality looks like. And all of a sudden, it's been destroyed. I want to say God wants to speak into that, saying it doesn't matter what that looks like. From that, God can do great things. Because God had a plan from the beginning. He had a plan for a failure of a father that through his family, the Messiah would be born. He had a a plan for a nation that failed over and over and over again from a city that would follow God and follow themselves and follow God and follow themselves. That from that, a Messiah would come that would spread the good news and show a simpler way to live, a plan that could be trustworthy. See, from the total beginning of time, God had a plan. God had a plan, and that plan was Jesus. It's a simple plan. 
Why did Christianity spread so quickly? It spread so quickly because it's so simple. The plan is Jesus Christ. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. Our promises are in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. The plan is Jesus. It always has been. It always is and always will be Jesus Christ. But we have a part to play. We, we all have a part to play. And we read in Luke, and we read in the end of, end of Matthew, and we know in Matthew chapter 28, once again, that, that our plan is simple. It's go and tell others about Jesus. It's go spread the good news. Our part is to spread the good news. Our part is to, to understand the plan that is around Jesus and to go and spread that plan with others. Our challenge today is this. Will you stick to the plan? There's temptations that we can try and do it ourselves, but then when we step back to appreciate what we've done, we go, not that I want to talk about The Simpsons, but Homer Simpson made this barbecue. Has anyone seen that? Is this the right right service to talk about this? And he tries to make this barbecue, and there's there's this shot where all you see is this magnificent barbecue, and then the, the camera angle pans out, and all he's holding the box, up and he's looking at the box then he lowers the box and this thing's like just like abstract art like it's it's not a barbecue at all it's just a total failure and and sometimes it's like that we go oh this is what my faith can look like this is what my spirituality can look like but if it's not Jesus when you remove the your plans what you see is just a mess God's plan is good if we stick to Jesus if we stick to the plan we know that it is unchanging unswavering strong mighty The second challenge for today is, will you play your part? Maybe your part is just sticking to the plan, getting closer to Jesus, leaning more on him. Maybe your your part is sharing the good news, being light and salt in the world, the the light into the dark places, and there's so many dark places at the moment in our world after COVID. Being salt, the God flavors in the conversations, in the love, grace, and mercy that we speak to one another. Today our challenge is, will we stick to the plan and will we play our part? Christmas is coming. It's a good thing. The answer is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son for us. That it is a simple, simple message that if we lean into him, if we hang on to him, if we put our hope in him, What we see is purpose, purpose that transcends the understandings of this world, a faith that is unshaken. Lord, I pray today as we we look to you, Lord, if there are those that are watching online, that, that are here in this room, that if they don't know you, that they would cry out with their hearts, God, we need Jesus. We need Jesus in our heart of hearts. Lord, we we give our control to you. We submit our plans for our life and we hand that over to you and we want you to plan our life out. Help us to look to Jesus for guidance, not only in the day-to-day, but Lord, in the big decisions of life so that we can align with your plan through Christ. Lord, there's some of us that need the courage and boldness to share the good news. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities, one of the most scary prayers that we could pray to show your love, to share your light and be your God flavors, the salt into the world that we live in.
Give us eyes to see those opportunities. Give us words to speak and actions to show what Christ is in us. Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you that Christmas is a time when we remember your plan. May we hang on to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.